Saviour Christ, according to St. Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 14. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I've made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I've made two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who'd received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <coughs> it's lovely to be with you again here at the college where I also started my formation. Still haven't finished it. Uh, you'll be glad to know. Um, my children are aged 36 and 32, and they still watch out for one of them getting something that the other hasn't. This began a long time ago with Christmas stockings. The contents were laid out end to end and counted to ensure that Luke didn't get one item more than Carolyn and vice versa. And we're talking about paper clips and highlighters here, not something of infinite value. And one is as bad as the other. To this day, Luke rings Carolyn after Christmas, pretending that he got more than he did in order to freak her out. And more importantly, it works. Children, and children who are meant to be adults, have a deeply innate view of fairness. So they wouldn't have liked the parable of the talents. Why, they would wonder, does one get five talents, one gets two, and one lesser mortal gets one? 
As we know in theological college, if you've learned nothing yet, context is everything. Where does this parable come in the teaching of Jesus? What's gone on before it and what goes on after it? The parable comes set almost in the middle of Jesus' teaching about the second coming. Chapter 24 begins with the disciples asking Jesus, what will be the signs? Jesus quickly follows with saying, he doesn't know the day or the hour, only the Father knows that, but the end of the age is coming. That's followed by the parable of the ten bridesmaids, whose emphasis is to be watchful and to be ready. And then by the parable we're now looking at, the parable of the talents. There are two issues. The first is that the three servants were given different amounts. I go back to my children's view of the Christmas stocking. It feels like unfair distribution. And the only thing that we're told about that seemingly unfair distribution is that each were given according to their ability. I wonder how it felt to be one of those servants and to be seen as either the weakest or the strongest or indeed, if you have three children, the dreaded middle child. He got three and I only got one. He got five and I only got one. They only got three and one and I got five. There would have been very different human feelings in the room. We aren't told much about what happened when the master was away, but when he comes back, you can see that he's somewhat justified in his judgment. The two servants who got five and two talents brought back twice as much and the master praises them for their resourcefulness. Then we come to the servant with one, who took the line of least resistance and buried the talent in the ground. And far from being somewhat abashed by this when faced with the master, he states his reason for doing so, and frankly, he could do with a course in HR. I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you do not scatter seed. If you want to keep your job as a curate, I wouldn't leave with that. <laughs> the master seems not to take offence at the accusation, but invites him to consider that a good idea then might have been to put it in the bank and at least give him back what he owns with interest. Perhaps interest rates on savings were better in those days. And to rub salt on the wound, the servant with ten talents then gets the extra one. And here are the compelling words to me for this parable. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. What? The only thing that makes sense that we can glean from this parable is that it wasn't about how much they were given, although that might have hurt, but about how they used it. In the context of talking about end times and being watchful and ready, what is it that the Lord is trying to convey at this point to his disciples? Well, we have to accept that we are all given according to our ability. You might feel that you're the one with five talents, or you might feel that you've only got one. But again, it isn't about what's in your hand, it's about what you're going to do with it. I once studied, along with many others in my church, something called the Network Course which is basically a course to discover your spiritual gifts. Some of you may have done it. It's a fairly thorough, robust process, and your trusted friends and family take part too. And I was quite excited. What would my top spiritual gift be? Leadership, prophecy, preaching, exegesis. Do you want to know what it was? 
administrator. <laughs> to say that I was disappointed would be an understatement. Admin, that's it. Now, of course, I do understand that strong admin skills are an asset and that it's a gift whose essence is to get things done. But I honestly felt that day like a servant with one talent, administration. I answered a vocation, undertaken training, and been ordained to be a jolly good administrator. I was going to say that I've now got over it, but I think it still smarts a little. But I do recognise that in the role of a bishop, it's a huge asset to be able to get things done. And perhaps the leadership, prophecy and preaching may be a byproduct of being able to be efficient and get things done. What is important according to this teaching is not what my top spiritual gift is, it's what I'm doing with it. So as an ordained person who's good at administration, how can I best impact the kingdom with that? What can I bring to something that nobody else in the room can bring? Where will this gift really play to my strengths and benefit a diocese or a committee? It's not about the amount which you've been given according to your ability. It is about how you use it. So what do you think your five, three or one talents might be? And when you've deduced that, perhaps with honest feedback from those you trust, what are you going to do with it? How will you benefit the Church of God with what he has placed in your hand? Because according to the gospel, the end times are coming. We need to be watchful and ready. We need to make absolute most of the time and talent that we have by God's grace. What could you do today to maximize the impact of the talent you hold in your hand? We have to trust that God has put us on this earth with this talent to impact the church and his kingdom in a way that nobody else can. Your talent is unique. And what about the end of the parable, which is deeply puzzling? If you have a lot, you'll be given more. And if you're very little, you soon won't even have that. I don't take that to be in monetary terms. My interpretation of this is that as end times approach, God is watching to see who's using their God-given talents and skills to their best abilities and for his glory. And who's skiving and hiding it in the ground? Perhaps when God sees that we're handling well that five talents he's given us and doing it with humility, he feels that he can give us even more. Remembering that it's for the benefit of him and not the recipient. And on the contrary, he sees that one of his servants just isn't aware of the approach of the end times and isn't that bothered about mission, worship, evangelism, relationship, service. Maybe he give that job to the one who he knows will bother. There's such a challenge in this final sentence. I might feel like the person with the one talent, or I might be a little smug at the thought that I'm the one with the five, but the amount is irrelevant. I don't want God to look at what I bring and to give it to somebody else because I haven't bothered to use what he's given me. I don't want to bury it in the ground. How will you serve God in a humble way with all your heart and see your talents increase? with your resourcefulness, your wholeheartedness, your obedience. The chapter that follows this one in the Gospel of Matthew is the story of the sheep and the goats, and the very clear instructions from Christ to feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, visit the prisoner. It's actually not particularly difficult to discern how we can use our talents. We love and serve God, 
we love and serve people. In the words that we've already said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. If we don't know where to start with our talents, we can start there. And before we leave this parable, there is one crucial difference. Our God is, of course, not the harsh master. The God that we worship and serve pursues us out of love. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. He will not let go. He's a loving father, not a cruel master. And although we know that in our heads, sometimes that truth doesn't make its way easily to our hearts because we worry about judgment and about God being cross with us. We feel that we aren't good enough and that he could do better. And sometimes we approach him with anxiety and a lack of self-worth. He is not the cruel master. He is the loving father. God is good all the time.